0: Let you know on the front end that we're going to do things a little bit differently tonight. I'm kind of splitting up the talk a little bit. I'm going to start off tonight with a little bit of an intro and then, and then finish up later on uh, with, with the rest of the talk. And, and we're going to have a lot of readings tonight. And, uh, and so it's going to be a little bit different. We're not going to kind of start the way we normally do. But the reason for this is that this year with Ecclesia, we're, we, we're just having to do things a little differently. Uh, those of you who have been with us a couple of years know that normally uh, we would be celebrating Palm Sunday tonight and kind of focusing just on Palm Sunday. And then we would spend the week kind of going through Holy Week, right? We usually do lunchtime services. We cooperate with uh, University Baptist Church. We get together at lunchtime, do a 20-minute service, have free lunch. It's like one of my favorite weeks of the year, uh, not because of the free food, because uh, of the spiritual parts, uh, but also the free food. And, and so we really take the time to walk through the last week uh, uh, of things before Easter. Well, this year, because we're not doing those lunches and and we won't get to do those again until next year, it just didn't feel quite right to just celebrate Palm Sunday and then skip straight to Easter. I mean, there's obviously a huge part of the story uh, that we are missing if we do that. Uh, And so uh, what we're going to do tonight is honestly kind of spend, we're going to, read uh the the story the palm sunday kind of story we're also going to move through the what's called the passion narrative uh, on the lectionary calendar so we're going to spend some time reading all that and talking about all of that um and as grateful as we are for the good news of easter um, that good news follows uh the difficult week before right it follows uh crucifixion and so to talk about one without the other doesn't make a whole lot of sense But I want to do something before we even get to all the scripture readings that you're going to hear tonight, and that is I want to set a little context. Because as you know, context really matters, right? Um, So many problems come from taking something out of context, and we uh, struggle a lot of times as people reading a document that is sometimes thousands and thousands of years old from a culture that is so vastly different from ours and political situations and religious situations that we're not very familiar with a lot of times i'm sure if you've opened up your scriptures and you've read them it's been hard to make sense of what's going on there because you lack the context and so i want to take just a couple of minutes and set up some context uh for what's happening kind of in the world is too large a term, but in, in Jesus' world anyways, in his contemporaries, the place where Jesus is at in Jerusalem, what are some, what, what are some that is going on right there? And what are some of the groups and what do they believe and how do they act? And, and, and how does that kind of set the stage for what Jesus does and doesn't do? Um, I think it really informs this story if we know that. So uh, as we approach this, I want us to remember something. I want us to remember that. Um, the the, the Jewish population that is uh, either living in Jerusalem or coming to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, they are a group of people who are conquered, right? They are a group of people who are living under the thumb of Rome, under the thumb of the greatest kingdom the world has ever known, the greatest army the world has ever known, um, whose reach and army and, uh, uh, and power is kind of beyond imagination for the world up to that point. And they are coming and they are uh, trying to hold on to their religious history. They're trying to hold on to their religious practice. And they're trying to hold on to the promise that they've always been taught for generations. And that promise is that God listens to them when they are hurting. That God hears them when they are oppressed. That God hears them when they cry out. And that God delivers, right? Uh, He did it from Egypt. You have the plagues and the parting of the, of the sea and all these things, and this is part of their story. You have the, the desert and the provisions of manna, and you have the new land that's given to them. And so they claim this, they cling to it, uh, they hope for it. But like any group of people that may have a common hope or a common ideal, there's a lot of different ways of approaching that thing, right? Uh, is no different than what we have in America right now, is which we have some kind of common ideals, but there are obviously some vastly different ways that we approach, uh, of, you know, getting to those ideals and having those things come to pass. And I want to talk to you about a few of the people, a few of the kind of political tribes, although politics and religion are very close here, a few of the political tribes and their widely varying opinions on how God will eventually save them and what they're supposed to be doing right now. So they live in this very tumultuous time. They are uh, oppressed. They are longing to have their own place back, their own country back. They're longing to not be taxed and and killed at will. They're longing for all these things. They've been crying out to God. And you have a few different kinds of people uh, within this Jewish context. The first one I'm just going to call is the adopters, uh, or, or adapters may even be a better way of putting it. And that is the group of people that basically are very pragmatic They've looked around the world at them. They said, yeah, I would love it if, we, if Israel had its own country uh, and its own uh, kingdom back. I'd love it if we controlled Jerusalem. I'd love it if we had the giant army, but we don't. Rome does. So I'm just going to work this system the best way I can. Right? And so uh, a lot of, if you're looking in, in your scriptures and you're reading in your Testament, you see a group of folks called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees represent this group of people. They are people who are finding a way to work the system. They tend to be well uh, to do. They tend to be successful. They tend to kind of keep one foot in the Roman world and one foot in the Jewish world. And so some people don't like them for having a foot in both places, but they're doing pretty well. Yes, ideally it'd be great if the system was different, but they're finding a way to make the system work for them. Right? They're the kind of the adopters to the whole things. Then you've got the fighters. These are the people who know, I mean know beyond a shadow of a doubt, they are called to violently overthrow Rome. They're not sure when it's going to happen. They're not sure who's going to lead them yet. They're not sure uh, who the Messiah is going to be that's going to lead them into it. Uh, these are the zealots, some of the, some of the uh, disciples of the zealots. In fact, there's uh, a group of the zealots called the uh, uh, Sicarii. And some people think that's what Judas was. When you see Judas of Iscariot, some people think that that translation might be Sicari. And what the Sicari were, they were literally knife men. They were literally guys who just walked around, and if they caught a Roman soldier someplace where they wouldn't get caught, they would just knife them and run. right? And they, so they, and they believed that uh, they were called to start to organize, gather people together, arm themselves, and, and overthrow Rome. Now, any outsider would look at it and say, well, that's ridiculous. You'll never do that. You don't have the means of doing it. Uh, but they believe in this. In fact, by the time you get to 70 AD, which is, a, you know, one generation past Jesus, they actually try it, and it does not go well at all. Um, the temple ends up destroyed. Uh, just, just massive, uh, horrible casualties happen, right? So you have the adopters. You have the fighters. Then you have the, uh, I'll call them the flighters. Uh, those who just kind of packed their bags and took off, right? Uh, these were the folks who said, you know what? Nothing I can do about this. I'll just wait for God to take care of it later on. The apocalypse is coming, so let's just all move out to the desert together. We'll form a little commune. We'll just have our own little heaven on earth right here, and we'll let wait for God to take care of things, right? And you may be thinking, uh, this group of folks, a lot of them are called the Essenes. And you may be thinking, that's weird. I've looked in the Bible. I haven't really seen much about them. That's because they were by themselves out in the desert minding their own business, right? They're not really players in this whole situation. They just said, see you later. We'll do our own thing. And they took off for the desert. So you have the the adopters. You have the fighters. You have the flighters. And then you have um, the do-gooders, for lack of a better term. You have those who have doubled down on religious practice. Uh, The Pharisees, right? Teachers of the law. Those who are... Are, uh, are really getting down into the nitty-gritty of what it means to practice their faith. Um, they are uh, getting down into the very details of things. They are the ones that, honestly, Jesus is the most closely aligned with and also the ones that Jesus butts heads with the most, right? Because he's doing things that violate some of the rules that they've built around the law that they've been trying to practice. And in their mind, if we're just good enough, if we just practice pure enough religion then God will hear us, then God will answer us, then God will do something for us, right? Now, all of them want for Rome to be gone. All of them want for Israel to come back into its glory. All of them want the same things, but they're going about it in very different ways, and they believe very strongly in those ways of going about it. And I bring up those groups to you because I want you you to kind of try and put yourself, as you listen to this narrative, Put yourself in that place of that time and that space, and uh, tensions are growing high. Uh, During the Passover, the city would swell two, three, four, five times its size with religious uh, followers uh, coming to practice. Uh, Rome would bring in the army to make sure that everyone was held in place. In fact, they'd have a large uh, gathering on one side of the town where the army would march into town. It's kind of the opposite of what Jesus does on Palm Sunday, right? And so tensions are high. And as Jesus is operating in this space, and he's one of the people who's calling himself Messiah, he's one of the many people who's gathering a bit of a following, what everyone's going to be asking is, what kind of person is this? Is this guy a fighter? Is he a flighter? Is he a do-gooder? Is he, is he a, an adapter? What kind of person? What bucket does he fit in? Most of those that are following Jesus, most of the questions that happen to Jesus, most of the challenges he receives from someone, is someone trying to figure out where he stands on all this. And I, and I would argue with you, and we'll talk about this at the end, that what you find as you look at the way that he reacts and doesn't react, what he does and doesn't do is that Jesus does not fit into any of these categories. In fact, there's kind of another way altogether that Jesus goes. And so tonight what we're gonna do is we're gonna have several readings of scripture. Uh, you'll see it uh, come up here, someone will read to you. We'll have some songs, and at the end we'll come back and kind of unpack Uh, this entire story. uh, Try and maybe get it from a 10,000 foot view and look at the broad strokes of what happens here. Uh, But why don't we begin by saying a word of prayer? Our Lord and our God, we are grateful that you are in fact a God who hears the cries of the poor and the oppressed, that you are a God who cares about what goes on here on earth, that you are not a God who just created and left. And Lord, we confess that we come up with a whole lot of ways uh, that we feel like you should be working among us. And we confess that we um, today, I think, are very tempted to skip past the difficult questions that you raised, the difficult challenges that you raised to our ways of uh, trying to do good in this world. And so tonight as we uh, lean into kind of the bad news that comes before the good news, we ask that you might show us something new. That we might hear something in the readings or hear something in one of the songs or uh, listen to something in the teaching that changes our lens a little bit, that we might walk out of here a little differently than we came in. But we do love you. We ask all things in your name.
1: When Jesus and his followers approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus gave two disciples a task, saying to them, Go into the village over there. As soon as you enter it, you will find tied up there a colt that no one has ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, Its master needs it and he will send it back right away. They went and found a colt tied to a gate outside the street, and they untied it. Some people standing around said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? They told them just what Jesus said, and they left them alone. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes upon it, and he sat on it. Many people spread out their clothes on the road, while others spread branches cut from the fields. Those in front of him and those following him were shouting, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. After he looked around at everything, because it was already late in the evening, he returned to Bethany with the 12.
2: Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend. Who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend. Who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls The healing and grace. Hearts always hunger for. Oh hearts always hunger for. Y'all can stand if you want to. Counselor, comforter, keeper, spirit. lost the way, and you, are the, the me me you are, are the one that we praise, you are the one we adore, you give the healing me and me grace, grace. hearts always hunger for, oh, our hearts always Always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger for.
1: At daybreak, the chief priest and the elders, legal experts, and the whole Sanhedrin formed a plan. They bound Jesus, led him away, and turned him over to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, That's what you say. The chief priests were accusing him of many things. Pilate asked him again, Aren't you going to answer? What about all these accusations? But Jesus gave no more answers, so that Pilate marveled. During the festival, Pilate released one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. A man named Barabbas was locked up with the rebels who had committed murder during an uprising. The crowd pushed forward and asked Pilate to release someone, as he regularly did. Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? He knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of jealousy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas to them instead Pilate replied Then what do you want me to do With the one you are calling king of the Jews They shouted back Crucify him Pilate said to them Why? What wrong has he done? They shouted even louder Crucify him Pilate wanted to Satisfy the crowd So he released Barabbas to them He had Jesus whipped Then handed him over to be crucified.
2: On the clouds with fire, the whole earth. Changed. Santa in the house
1: Jesus away into the courtyard of the palace known as the governor's headquarters and they called together the whole company of soldiers. They dressed him up in a purple robe and twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on him. They saluted him, hey king of the Jews. Again and again they struck his head with a stick. They spit on him and knelt before him to honor him. When they finished mocking him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his own clothes back on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Simon, a man from Cyrene, Alexander and Rufus's father, was coming from the courtyard, uh, the countryside. They forced him to carry his cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means skull place. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. They crucified him. They divided up his clothes, drawing lots for them to determine who would take what. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The notice of the formal charge against him was written, The King of the Jews. They crucified two outlaws with him, one on his right and one on his left. People walking by insulted him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha! So you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild in three days, were you? Save yourself and come down from that cross. In the same way, the chief priests were making fun of him among themselves, together with the legal experts. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross. Then we'll see and believe. Even those who had been crucified with Jesus insulted him.
2: End it here.
1: From noon until three in the afternoon, the whole earth was dark. At three, Jesus cried out with a loud shout, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you left me? After hearing him, some standing there said, Look, he's calling Elijah. Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, and put it on a pole. He offered it to Jesus to drink, saying, Let's see if Elijah will come to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and died. The curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who stood facing Jesus saw how he died, he said, This man was certainly... God's son.
0: Let's pray. God, as we take a moment to consider uh, the importance of how you chose to die in this world, we ask that we might learn a little more about how you have called us to live here. And God, we ask in the next moments that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart might be pleasing unto you, our God and our Redeemer. Amen. You can have a seat. I didn't really consider when we were mapping out tonight how long you guys would end up standing, but the good news is some of you are going to close that ring on your watch, so uh, you're welcome. we could we could preach uh, 40 sermons out of what we just read and i understand that uh, i'm struck by the very last line of what you just heard uh, verse 39 said when the centurion who stood facing jesus saw how he died he said this man was certainly god's son this man was certainly god's son uh, it's very plausible to me that that quote uh, is more sarcastic than sincere I don't know why I always taught uh, growing up that when that was uttered, it was a confession that someone had somehow turned a corner in seeing what was going on there. I now kind of lean towards the idea that that was more sarcasm than it was sincerity. Right? I think we tend to dramatize Jesus' passion in such a way that indicates everyone who was present there knew then what we know now, having read the rest of the story, knowing history from that point on. And, and apart from the, the darkening of the sky and a few things that we can uh, point towards, the tearing of the curtain, which, of course, no one in the, there at that moment would have seen, there was nothing really magical about the way Jesus died to those who were witnessing it at the time. And, in fact, the way everyone acts following the death and preceding Christ's resurrection indicates that they didn't quite know what had happened there, right? Right? This this week, this week of passion leading up to Jesus' crucifixion was one of heartbreak and embarrassment and humiliation, and by all accounts, by any measurement that anyone had available to them at the time, a complete and total failure, a defeat. Right? There were many people who had very high hopes for this exciting rabbi who claimed to be a Messiah. And what happened? I mean, it was an inauspicious end to a promising run, right? He rides into town on a little donkey surrounded by peasants who were armed with branches and coats. It's a joke, right? This anti army sings his praises as he enters the temple. And I love Mark's telling of it because he, he have this quote unquote triumphal entry. Again, as much sarcasm as sincerity there, a triumphal entry. And in Mark, he gets in the temple and he looks around and then he leaves. He just leaves town. Like, how anticlimactic is that? He gets arrested early in the morning, at daybreak, without incident. In fact, in other Gospels, some folks try to pull out a sword and help, and he rebukes them for it and heals the very person who's trying to arrest him. He's arrested at daybreak without incident. Then he gets in front of the most powerful person he will ever have a chance to speak truth to, and he underwhelms in his defense. And that's, that's a, a drastic understatement. He underwhelms in his defense in front of the most powerful leader that he will ever see. That leader knows that this is a farce. He knows that this is, there's nothing true about what uh, he's being charged with. And when he asks the crowd what they want, the crowd asks Pilate to release a violent zealot instead of Jesus. Now, only one of those two is guilty of any crime... But also, only one of them seems to have the backbone to do anything about this evil empire. And they'd rather have the guy who's ready to kill some people and shed some blood. Jesus is whipped. He's tortured. He's mocked. Everything that they gamble over his clothes and steal everything that he has with them right there, they steal everything he owns. And then, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, they had him on a cross by 9 a.m., they arrested him at daybreak. And had him on a cross by 9 a.m. And he hung up there for hours. Seemingly as helpless as everyone else. And there has been a lot. Everyone else who had ever died before him on a Roman cross in that same way. Just as much in pain. Just as doomed as they were. That he cryptically quotes Psalm 22 from the cross. And he is dead By 3 p.m. Arrested at daybreak, hung on the cross by 9, dead by 3 p.m. Half a day. That's all it took. Half a day for the machine to kick into gear for him to be gone. The end of Jesus in half a day. The word probably hadn't even gotten out before he took his last breath. We should not gloss over how humiliating and scary this half a day and what led up to it was for those who loved and followed Jesus. We should not kind of rewrite it knowing what we know. We shouldn't gloss over the kind of vindication that everyone who opposed Jesus must have felt in that moment. And you see it in their words. Weren't you going to rebuild a temple in three days? Aren't you saving people, but you can't save yourself? Isn't this supposed to be the Messiah, God incarnate, who saves the world? And we're going to be done with you in half a day and still be home for dinner? Easter is coming, but this week is about this feeling, this moment, this bad news before the good. Right? Easter is a grand celebration of the Christian calendar, but the week before is anything but. This week we remember how the world treats those who don't fit their models. This week we remember how the religious world treats those who don't fit their ideas of how things should go. Remember how the world treats people who are too dumb or too lazy to work the system that they find themselves in. This is when we remember how the world treats those too compromised by this evil world to just walk away from it altogether like they should. This is when we remember how the world treats those too weak to pick up the sword, to pick up a weapon and fight for what is right, shed blood of those who deserve it. How religion treats those too unorthodox to follow the script handed to them This is a week where we remember the failures. This is a week that lifts up the tragedy. This is the one that remembers a community of people who examine all the options before them in this world and choose none of the above. Because as unpopular as it might be, He knew, we know, or should know, the truth is found someplace else. It's not found with the adapters. It's not found with those who run away. It's not found with those who just act as good as they possibly can. It's not found in the violence that we think should solve the problem. And understand, you can make a good argument for all those things. You can, As good an argument as you can make for adopting or fighting or fleeing, right? They've all been tried and they've all been found wanting. There is only emptiness found in adopting a system that is broken. There can be no salvation for anyone when we run away. And violence is never as redemptive as we'd like to believe it will be. So we remember another way, a more difficult way, a bloody way, a hard choice. We remember the failures, those who have lost, and we remember them because in this kingdom of gods, we claim and we believe the last are first, that everything is upside down. We believe that turned cheeks are more powerful than balled up fists, that generosity is stronger than security, that the flock is no more important than any single sheep. And that while nothing is worth killing for, much is worth bleeding for and dying for. This is a week of mourning, but it's also a week of celebrating that weird, backwards, upside-down Messiah that we claim. We celebrate the conquering lamb offered freely to the world that drew its blood for no good reason. We celebrate the bad news that comes before the better news. So don't skip Easter, skip to Easter quite yet. There will be time for the feast. There will be time for the party. There will be time for the celebration, for the good news that is coming. There will be time for that which follows that stinging feeling of now. Now. We don't get to skip ahead because there is only one way to get from here to there and it is with the cross on our back. The narrow road is not as easy as those well-worn paths. Because the losing doesn't usually feel like winning when it's happening. And this week hurts. This week, it feels like maybe we're just foolish. Maybe we just hitched our chariot to the wrong horse. This week, maybe it feels like the story is over and it didn't turn out the way it was supposed to. But Easter is coming. And eternity comes with it. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you are not a, uh, a God of the Pollyanna, that you are not uh, a God who somehow transcends and, and, and hovers above the messiness of this world. Because the truth is that even on the best of days, when we are uh, able to most closely line our hearts up with yours, most closely embody your love on this earth, Most closely imitate the love that you have shown us. Even in those moments, it feels messy and hard. And it feels foolish. And it often feels a lot like losing. But God, may we avoid the temptation to uh, remove the part of the story that is the most difficult. because the only way from here to there is to go through this. And what you have shown us is that eternal, abundant life is found in this place. God, we are grateful for your huge, embarrassing failure. May we fail as you have failed. We love you and we ask all things in your name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.
2: of your peace Where there is hatred let me be so sow. love Where there is darkness let me shine light, light. And may your love cause us to own hatred let me so love where there is darkness let me shine light
0: Thank you so much for being here this week. Um, as always, uh, we are glad to have you here. We're better off with you in the room. Uh, if you're not on like, the email list that sends out information each week, please fill out a card, get us your email address, and we'll add you to that. If you have any gifts for the ministries of this community, what we're doing at Hawkins Elementary and elsewhere, uh, you can put them in that box out there, and we will put them to good use. Uh, and if you know someone who's looking for a community to be a part of, uh, please invite them and know that uh, they are welcome here no matter who they are. Uh, And as we uh, leave this place and walk towards uh, the celebration of Easter, uh, may we own the moment. Uh, May we not try and skip over the difficulties of Christ's passion to get uh, to the good news of Christ's resurrection. And may we embody uh, God's love in this world, uh, as as big and huge and embarrassing a failure as it might seem to everyone else. Uh, Peace be with you. Have a great week.